0: welcome to hallmarked up with mary and sarah all right welcome to episode four of season two of hallmarked up where we watched the movie a timeless christmas who was in A Timeless Christmas? Aaron Cahill and someone else?
1: It was uh, Aaron Cahill and um, Ryan Pavey? Or Pavey.
0: Pavey. Uh, yes. Pavey. Correct. 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 And I have to admit, I was a bit excited about this one since it did feature some time travel. Yeah. So let's uh, start us off, Mary, with a bit of a recap about A Timeless Christmas.
2: All right. So the first thing you need to know about A Timeless Christmas is a brief biography of one of its two main characters, one Mr. Charles Whitley. So Mr. Charles Whitley is a self-made millionaire. He was born in 1870. And when he was 14, both of his parents died and he had to work in a steel mill to support himself. And somehow by the age of 21, he owns steel mills and is a millionaire. And we're not quite sure how that happened, but I guess we're expected to accept that. And as of 18, he was still a steel mill worker. So sometime between 18 and 21, he, I don't know, got extremely rich extremely quickly. In 1903, when he was engaged to be married to a young woman by the name of Miss Eliza Parker, he was tinkering with a Christmas clock, which is a thing, apparently, a Christmas clock. Yes. And he, he disappeared and was never seen again. Now... What we as the audience know, and the rest of the world does not know, is that the reason he disappeared is because he went to the future. And so he turns up in the present day, and his mansion has become a museum, and he encounters one Megan Turner, the museum director, who is giving a guided tour and playing the role of Rosie, his maid. It turns out that Megan is, in fact, the great-great-granddaughter of the real Rosie, so she's playing Rosie and then there's an actress playing Eliza and they're waiting for the actor they have playing Charles to make an appearance and he doesn't come and they're supposed to get a new guy from the agency and they found out later the new guy was sick but anyways this guy turns up and he looks exactly like the portrait and he's just like acting the part perfectly well and they're like wow you're amazing Um, but he's like taking his role a little bit too seriously he keeps staying in character insisting he's the real Charles Whitley. So of course yes, he's, he's, de- house, really. he's
0: definitely questioning why people are at his house and yeah. you know, what are you doing okay. in my house? Your i particularly liked when he pointed out that she, that that Megan was not, in fact, Rosie.
1: Right. Who she yeah. was
2: portraying.
1: A authentically funny scene, I thought.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I it wasn't bad. It, it wasn't bad. It was
0: it was it was uh yeah, it, it almost felt like it had a bit of Back to the Future-esque qualities about it. In fact,
1: yeah, I, 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 I'm, uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tip my hand a little bit early. I think like there's going to be like a bunch of times where I, I sort of interrupt and say, hey, you know, this, this actually worked, and this wasn't bad. I, I, I came away last night like, genuinely liking this movie.
2: I came away with it. A- I think as Hallmark movies go, liking it. I think I was less bored than I can ever remember being with a Hallmark movie. And Matt and I both commented on the fact that as of 48 minutes into the movie, we weren't entirely sure how it would end. Which is unthinkable. I
0: thought that was crazy. Exactly. And we we were commenting throughout that, you know... What will they do? Will they stay in the future or will they go back to the past? Because like I pointed out in our chat, this is the first movie we've seen of the season that they just were not going to be able to make it work between their different eras and whatever. So anyway, back to, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we're excited about this one, which I like, but keep going, Mary. So we obviously, Charles believes he is in his own home and there are strangers abound.
2: And so eventually, of course, he figures out what's going on. And he's like, wait, what year is it? Which they cleverly sidestep answering the fact that we're in the middle of 2020 and nobody's acting like it's 2020 by saying, what year do you think it is? And he says, certainly not 1903. So anyways, now now let me introduce Megan, who he, whose you know, care he has been thrust into, essentially. Megan wrote a PhD dissertation on, guess who? Charles Whitley. Charles Whitley. So she just finished her PhD. And she is the museum director, but she is applying for, you know, an academic position at the local university. And her parents are really excited for her to get this job. Um, And she has an interview coming up. And so she eventually realizes that he's the real Charles Whitley and he's not crazy. The way she realizes this is he tells her, um, you know, look for a secret compartment under the rug in my study and the contents will prove that I'm telling the truth. And it's his notebook. And anyways, then she believes him.
1: She was, she was prepared to believe him already. There was a couple of times when she, she's talking with him, and she definitely slips up a couple of times and, like, refers to him you know, as Charles. So I think she was already primed to believe it.
2: Right. I mean, she also didn't have anything else to call him besides Charles, so there is that. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would agree. She does come to accept that he has traveled from the past rather quickly. <laughs>
2: She does, she does. But you know, I- I'm kind of okay with that because we don't have that many minutes in this movie and it is sort of frustrating when you watch a movie where like the plot hinges on like a character like coming to believe something incredible and they spend half the movie like not believing that and you're just kind of like, get on with it because we as the audience all know it's true and so there has to be a way for the character to come to terms with it relatively quickly so the story can get on with itself. So I was okay with that. Sure,
0: that's true, that's true. Alright, so essentially she believes him they do haul him off to the sheriff's office for a while
2: right and he's telling the truth and they're like why are you lying to the law and then she shows up and makes up a story for him and takes him home to the mansion so she's you know introducing him to the 21st century and she buys him some new clothes and she introduces him to pizza, and he's amazed at how much things cost now, et cetera, et cetera, and the fact that you can wear dungarees on the street and not just like, you know, in the steel mill. And he um, I mean,
0: particularly refers to a television as a mirror.
2: Oh yeah, he thinks how television is a mirror? mirror
0: to work. I mean, it's yeah. A
2: Though it should be pointed out that this is someone who was clearly very like sciency and future-minded, and probably pretty progressive in 1903 and so he actually like adjusts to the future like relatively well he doesn't we're not talking about someone who tries to fight a windmill or anything like that this is someone who you know he thinks the tv's a mirror and then he figures it out and then he actually like kind of loves it
1: there was a early on the uh, scene where like he sees someone microwaving something and like puts it together like that if, oh this this thing heats stuff with radiation which yeah in like 1903 like that's a huge leap like not, radio had only been like discovered maybe 10 15 years before that
0: and he sees the airplane and just totally accepts that that's flying machines and they're totally fine after he was just talking about the Wright brothers and you know in his time and he was looking at that and you know like he totally sees an airplane to me he goes oh the flying machine worked yay
1: yeah I, oh you're right yeah i, I didn't i didn't catch it. They they made that uh, connection. Uh, the other thing, being being forward minded, when he like, he appears in the future, like so. Aaron Aaron Cahill, Megan is white, but you know a lot of the other actors in in doing this historical reenactment in the mansion aren't, and uh, the sheriff is a black man, and he never. Like, he never seems to blink at any of this. And I'm sure part of it is just, like, hallmark, like, that they don't want to stick their dicks in that particular mousetrap. But they... But he just, like, in in character, he just, like, absolutely rolls with this, even when he's not aware yet that it's the the 21st century.
2: Yeah, so he was a particularly good candidate for time travel. I think we can all agree. Like, if you had to pick someone from 1903 and, like... Catapult them 117 years in the future. He's probably he probably handled it way better than most would have, which is good. Yes, he
0: was very accepting of of, you know he was into technology, which I think made him make that transition pretty easy.
2: There are a few things about the transition that he's not okay with, and those are in particular the things that relate to his personal life. In particular, he discovers his steel mills mill is no longer there, and Megan is able to tell him, of course, because she has thoroughly researched his life that his steel mill was closed after he disappeared and was presumed dead because he didn't have any heirs and he was like well obviously it should have gone to my fiance and she says well but you weren't married and you know you didn't have any family and you know everything was turned over to the city the steel mill was closed the mansion became a museum the other thing that Megan clearly knows and is not telling him is what became of his fiance Eliza and don't you worry don't you worry audience we will find out yeah so shes he asks, like, oh, what happened to Eliza? And she's like, you know, I, I, I don't know. So, of course, later we find out what happened to Eliza. And what happened to Eliza is that she married his rival, Harold Moran, who he hated. And the first scene was calling an imbecile. I thought it was pretty funny that the guy's name is Moran and he was calling him imbecile. I'm sorry. I know that's not very...
0: No, no. It was, it was clever, it, but, you know, in a Hallmark way.
2: So anyways, that is what happened to Eliza. But they were happily married for 66 years and had four children and 11 grandchildren. And so, you know, he can be bitter all he wants, but like things actually worked out okay for Eliza. And so in the course of all of this, what happens? He ends up acting, you know, quote unquote, acting the role of himself at the museum for a while, while he frantically searches for a way back to 1903, because, you know, he needs to save the steel mill and he needs to do all this stuff and he discovers that it is the clock that brought him to the future and so it's probably the clock that can bring him back. And so they search frantically for the clock all around the mansion and the guy who like manages the mansion or whatever has a detailed inventory of all objects in it and the clock's not in it and they don't know what's going to happen. So anyways eventually Megan goes to do her job interview um, for the professor gig, about which her parents say, and I I need to point this out, I'm sorry, her mother says to Megan, with your PhD, you're a shoe in I know that like by now Hallmark not knowing how the academic job market works is kind of like low-hanging fruit, but do they not realize that literally everyone applying for this job would have a PhD?
0: Of course. And, you know, I think this is this is actually really this has already been key in this season already, not to mention some previous seasons of shows. But I'm interested to see if they're able to correct this next season after everyone judges them for getting academia so wrong.
2: Well, they've been getting academia wrong for years, though. And I guess this also raises another question, which is why are there so many damn professors in this? like in all these movies like you know I, I i'm a professor it's a fine thing to be like it's fine but we're like a minuscule percentage of the population like there are a lot of people in the world like get another profession wrong for once
0: well they they only do have about i don't know less than 10 careers in these movies so
2: and two of you them know, are ours kind of
0: have to, yes event yes, planner and, and vet,
2: professor yeah
0: that's right. And then we, you know, there's a few other staples, and that's about it, including like Christmas tree farmer. Right. So, you know, yeah, there's not a lot of choices. So, but anyway.
1: I guess so, insurance underwriters never turned up.
2: I guess, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, not, not, you're not represented, Matt.
1: Unfortunately. Let's, let's please one
2: day write a Hallmark movie about Matt and Michelle, who are in fact an insurance underwriter and an actuary. Mm-hmm. And just like, Somehow make both of their jobs key to the plot, as it often is in Hallmark, and see how that
1: goes.
0: I'm sure we can come (laughs) up with a very clever, like, numerical title or something, you know, like...
1: There there is no way on God's earth I'm watching an insurance (laughs) Christmas movie.
0: It's the insurance countdown to Christmas or something like that. It'll be great. It'll be classic.
2: for the holidays. All right,
0: so Um. she she does her interview for the job. We're getting sidetracked.
2: Right, and we don't know the outcome of this interview, but what we do know is that in the lobby of the history department, which, by the way, is the fanciest fucking lobby for a history department I've ever seen in my life, uh-huh. and they have a number of historical objects and fancy glass cases, among which is, guess what, the Christmas clock. The
0: clock! And so,
2: you know, he clearly asks if they can borrow it or something like that. So this is just in time for their Christmas Eve gala, And they've discovered that he has to do this on the night of the Christmas moon, because that's a thing.
1: Oh, God, the Christmas moon. Matt, do you want want
2: to talk about the Christmas moon?
1: Okay. Because I like this movie, I found myself being a lot more forgiving of stuff that in in a movie that I dislike, I would probably be getting nitpicky about. But the Christmas moon, they explained is when you have a blue moon, which is, the se- a blue moon is a second full moon in a month. And a Christmas moon is when a blue moon falls on Christmas Eve. And the problem with this is that the lunar cycle is 28 days. So it, it is as impossible as, as, as anything can be to have a, a blue moon on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that that uh, that was a howler.
0: Obviously the moon and time travel go hand in hand as per uh,
1: every I'm, I I, I'm much less bothered by the time traveling magic clock than I am by the by the blue moon on the 24th.
2: In terms of the time travel plot they really by having him time travel only one way and having that way be forward, they really evaded a lot of the sort of more complex, like, metaphysical questions that a lot of movies get really lost in the weeds. And with time travel, because there is no question of, like, what happens when you go back to the past and, like, butterfly effect and change something. Because that's not happening. He only time travels once. It's one way. And, like, the past stays the past. And that's it. right. Um, But we're ahead of ourselves because we've already... Because now I've just revealed that he only time travels once. Anyways.
0: They find the clock. That's where we're back to.
2: They find the clock. She finds the clock. Amazing. She's clearly in love with him by now. Which, to their credit, this was one of the... uh, These, were I think, were better actors than our average Hallmark couples. And um, so I think there was some actual chemistry. I think they did actually act like they were in love. No question. Yeah. I would
0: agree. I would agree. They definitely... I mean... How could you not? If you like were living in that guy's house, being a docent at his museum, and then he appears like that. I mean, surely that would require some kind of romance, because it's just so unbelievable that he's finally in your life and he's real. And and not to mention, she studied the crap out of him, so she knows it better than probably any man on the planet.
2: So it's funny that you say this, because this actually made me think about like, what if someone who I had written my dissertation on came back and would I fall in love with him and the answer was absolutely the fuck not (laughs) but maybe that's another story about the people I wrote my dissertation on
0: well that's true that's true I mean were any of them as attractive as that man
2: so I didn't have photos of all of them some of them I only had letters but the ones I did have photos of no not so much There's, there's one big one that keeps in mind that I'm probably the only person on the planet who knows as much about this particular person as I do, unless he has living descendants that I'm not aware of, and I, I I haven't seen a photo and I've just seen you know writings and stuff, but absolutely would not fall in love with this person. No, right. no way.
0: Well, I think <laughs> I'm, I might if that guy arrived at my mansion at some point because he was pretty cute. But
2: he was an extremely attractive Hallmark man with That's his true. extremely anachronistic facial hair that would not have been socially acceptable in 1903. He had this very, like, stubble that would have looked really, like, trashy. And, yeah, uh, in 1903, it would have been considered rather just like he forgot to shave or something.
1: He would have looked like a knave like a or, a, or a card player or something like that. So
2: it's the night of the Christmas Eve gala, and he gives this speech and everything. And it's very moving and touching about, like, leaving our past behind for the future and, like, keeping the past within us or whatever. And she's like, all right, well, I understand that you have to go. Just promise me you'll say goodbye first. And so at some point he like disappears from the party and she goes up to the study and finds the clock there and doesn't see him. And she's like, you said you'd at least say goodbye. And then he like comes out of the woodwork and he's like, and I would if I were leaving or something like that. Yeah. But anyways, and then he tells her that he realized that because what it actually says on the clock is not like if you wind this clock at, at the Christmas moon you'll travel in time. What it actually says is if you wind the clock at the Christmas moon, you'll find true love. And he's oh, like, I yes. just realized that I found true love, and so I'm not going to go back. And Eliza apparently was perfectly happy without him. And so that's the ending of the movie.
0: So they stay in the normal times, and we're assuming they live happily ever after.
2: Yep. Now, wow. yeah, I have they, a lot of questions yeah. about how he continues to live in the present as someone with no identity. So he. Has- they did
0: tell the bulk of the public that he was from the agency <laughs> he was an actor still i mean they
2: could but like this is going to be someone with no birth certificate no social security number no history of like legally existing at all
1: right yeah and no like you know he, he's obviously like a clever guy but he has no credentials and you know we're like honestly like eighteen eighteen ninety nine 1899 or whenever is probably like past the end of the era of like the self-taught engineer and like certainly like whatever, you know, 20, whatever year this is, not, not the hell year 2020, but you know, one of it's, you know, 21 or 19 or something. Like he can't just be like, uh, I'm, I'm a really smart guy. I'm an engineer now.
0: That's true. Without I also... any Yeah, qualifications of any kind.
2: I was reminded, interestingly enough, of a great novel written in 1904, so a year after Charles Whitley's disappearance, by one Luigi Pirandello called Il Fu Mattia Pascal, the late Mattia Pascal. And so what happens in the late Mattia Pascal, uh, sorry, spoilers ahead for those of you who have not read this classic Italian novel that is obscure to the rest of the world, is that the title character kind of hates his life, and then he like goes away for a weekend and while he's gone discovers in a newspaper that he has been found dead because apparently somebody else drowned himself and they misidentified the body as his and so he takes that as the opportunity to leave his wretched life behind and start a new one and so he changes his name and he travels while and then he ends up in rome where he lives there and he's won a ton of money uh monte carlo that was another thing i should have mentioned And so he's living on that. And he ends up falling in love with this woman. And around the time when he, you know, is thinking of marrying her, he realizes that he has no legal existence and that he cannot make an honest woman of her because he legally doesn't exist. Like what happens when he goes to get a marriage license or something? Um, And then he realizes all of the other like problems this will cause. It's not just his marriage it's like impossible to exist in a world where you have no legal existence. So I was reminded of this interestingly. In Charles Whitley's case because I could imagine a sequel to this where our, our guy Charles you know things are going really well with Meg and he decides to propose and he tries to get a marriage license and then ends up in existential crisis just like poor Mattia Pascal and then he ends up like faking his own suicide which is what Matthias Pascal does in the book and then going back so in his case to 1903 except maybe it'd be off by a couple of years and he would end up in like 1906 and Eliza would already be married and he'd be like well, what I come back for then? And then he would just, like, laugh maniacally and spend the rest of his life, like, on the top floor of his mansion tinkering with clocks. Yeah,
0: I could definitely see, see that becoming the, the sad sequel. It would have to be produced by, like, Lifetime or... Yeah, that's not a Hallmark movie. dramatic, but no, I agree. So I I think, for me, I would agree this movie was quite fun in quite a few ways, you know, definitely not realistic but that's that's cool they had one a couple years back that CCB was in and she had arrived via comet to a modern day time. So this is a little bit of a take on that one, I would say. And the comet only came every whatever years, So she was there 50 years later and she needed to catch the comet back to 1942 or wherever it was. So yeah, so this is this is not an uncommon theme with Hallmark, but this was far better done than Candace Cameron. Bray's movie, even though... Did have some, it had, what's his name? Skerritt. I can't think of his first name. Quite a famous guy in it. And he was really good, but CCB was not. So I would say this was much better done. That's a good bingo. Congratulations. What about our our bingo moments? What did we think was like the cheesiest moments in this, in this one? Even though we really liked it.
2: So for me... I think it was definitely the Christmas tree lighting. And let me explain why, because every single movie we've watched this year has involved a Christmas tree lighting. I wrote
0: the same thing, Mary. I really did, but
2: anyway, keep going. It's always been a common Hallmark thing, but for some reason this year, there's always a fucking Christmas tree lighting. And it's never nearly as big of a deal as it should be. Sorry, it's never nearly as big of a deal as it is made out to be rather. It's always like kind of modest and like modestly attended, but it's supposed to be this magical moment. And, like, there's just always a Christmas tree lighting.
0: And I will just add on that, because I literally wrote the same thing, but they stood in the gazebo and, like, counted down to the lights went on. So, like, I mean, it was an added bonus of of the gazebo. The thing that I, like you said, like, that I find a bit underwhelming with these Christmas tree lighting, one, we've argued this in in the previous season, that they tend to do them right before Christmas, and if Mm -hmm. they're waiting that long, there's a they're doing something wrong because most people had their christmas lights on far before then. but the the tree is like bah, it comes on and you're like bah, bah. like it's, it's not, it's not it comes on and it's fine but it's you nobody is it's like magically taken away and i find this really bizarre because they have unlimited budgets for decor in these shows it appears like their houses are always like decorated to an inch of its life with like eight wreaths on a wall I think we saw at one point last year and the Christmas tree lighting is just like average compared to some of the trees in their houses which I find to be really
2: weird. Though no, I do have to say I find real life Christmas tree lightings underwhelming as well.
0: Well that's true. That's very true.
2: It's never that exciting. It's always just like this
1: is still a Christmas tree, but now it has lights on it.
0: Matt, what was your bingo moment?
1: I will say, with the Christmas tree, I just just uh, this was not my bingo moment, but it did. The town Christmas tree was like really weirdly underwhelming. Like it looked basically like a display tree at Target.
0: I totally agree.
1: But my bingo moment, and I actually like, I thought this was pretty funny because it, it. it very much looked like like somebody at the network insisted like we have to have this, we have to have this element. Like we have to they did cookies and you know, they do Christmas cookies and I think every single one of the the these movies, but they just really quick panned over like trays of cookies in the kitchen that none of the cast had any involvement with. They were just kind of in the room with them. And it was it really felt like like somebody at the network says we have to have Christmas cookies and the directors is like, fine, just put some put some FM cookies in there and let's like pan over and get get on with it. What was even more remarkable about that scene is at some point, Megan,
2: who is, of course, the museum director, and these cookies are, of course, for the Christmas Eve gala, stops and, like, points to a pan of absolutely flawless Christmas cookies, and is just, like, these more I
0: was just gonna mention that. It was such a weird, flippin' thing that was totally unnecessary for her to comment on the Christmas cookies.
2: So I don't know, maybe the Christmas cookies line was meant to like give her some kind of authority, but it just ended up making her seem like kind of a petty tyrant because like that was a flawless Christmas cookie. And also like this needs more icing is actually an extremely vague direction for a Christmas cookie like more icing how like if she's like
0: the historic director of the museum, does she really give a shit about the cookies? Like, don't you want to like make sure that the house looks good? I, I don't know. It just seemed like a, it was like they tried to combine her into a professor and an event planner at the same time for like one second.
2: It's almost like the filmmakers are given a bingo card and they are like, listen, you have to. You have to to be
0: included. Right. But that does actually, speaking of the museum director doing many things, um, that brings me to my relatable moment because. Uh, neither of you would know this but when I was in college I worked as a costumed docent at the Pabst Mansion in Milwaukee and like walked people through the Pabst Mansion and told them about it and like who lived there and we decorated it at Christmas and all that kind of stuff so I actually could relate to her a little bit and there was a time when I thought I was going to like I wasn't a history professor but I was going to study like Ah, uh, historic preservation at one point in my time. I did not do that. Yeah, I have a bit of a past for this kind of lifestyle, I guess. So that
1: was very Damn. relatable
0: for me. I know. Nice. I, I could have been Megan for sure. What about you, Matt? What did you find relatable?
1: Well, uh, Charles being attracted to, to Megan, like I like I know this is a family <laughs> podcast, but like Aaron Aaron Cahill is like Powerful milf energy. I, like, I, I, I did enjoy like I, I did enjoy watching her, uh, and not like you know she was like she was she was a good actress. But there was you know even if the the sound had been muted, I still would have enjoyed it. So I guess like the the serious answer, and uh, this is actually kind of one of my favorite scenes in the movie was you know there there's a point where you know, where, you know, Charles is, you know, he's becomes like obsessed with like getting back home. Cause he's found out that like the business failed and like his worst enemy is going to like, turned out like your worst enemy, like banged your fiance until like 1973. So he, <laughs> he he's, he's, he's obsessed with getting back and Megan says to him, like, is it, is it that bad to be here? And it's kind of dumb and insensitive for her to say it. Like, cause like, it, like if she was stuck in, in 2170, uh, 2137, like she would probably want to get back. It like, didn't matter if like there were like cool, like future drugs and the candy canes or something. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, you think about it and it's this very like understandable and relatable thing where like, she really likes him. I don't know if like she's fallen in love with him at this point, but she really likes him. And the fact that he is, all he's thinking about is leaving and like that, like really, it obviously hurts her. And like, I am like, I am, I have not experienced like that particular feeling where like somebody that like you're really into is like obviously more interested in, uh, you know they they do not reciprocate it they're completely obsessed with like getting the hell out and away from you, even if it's not kind of personally directed at you but i I've definitely been there and like that so that all was that was really relatable and kind of really really well done and I think the point where I kind of process it like this this might actually be an authentically good movie and not just a good movie for Hallmark.
0: That's excellent. I, I like that a lot, Mary. What about you? What did you find #hashtag relatable?
2: I didn't find anything truly relatable, which I was totally fine with because I would rather be entertained than identify. But I liked her shoes. Does that count?
0: Oh yeah, her shoes were cool. I would agree. That was good. they were very
2: nice, and they were actually like pretty period authentic. Like, um, they they were good Victorian shoes. Yeah, late Victorian. Victorian. I know we're we're in the U.S. It's not technically Victorian, but you know what I mean. Late Victorian era, like. They, they they were good shoes for, for her role. I they were also they good were... shoes for banging on the floor of the study to find the secret compartment.
0: <laughs> yes, we get to focus on the shoes a lot while she was looking for the secret hiding spot that was covered in
1: cobwebs when she found it. All right. Um... I, I, I have one more. Yeah. Actually, I, I don't know if I'm breaking the rules, but I have a second yeah. thing that's relatable. No, all right. Which for. is, like, other than Charles, everybody, all, all of the characters with speaking parts are uh, are are... It's in the museum staff. They're all they're all just kind of like they're underachievers and like working in jobs that they're like way overqualified for. Like that's Megan a really good point. Is yeah, Megan. You know, Megan is like you know she's you know she's a museum director as which as I guess you know Mary you said as a young PhD like that's nothing to sneeze at. But it is a you know it, we're in like a real like piddly dick museum and like the other actors are like sort of real like trained thespians who are like getting kind of started getting like fairly deep into into their careers and they're still doing like basically dinner theater for tourists as a part-time gig and kind of struggling with you know wondering like you know what are we doing should we keep should we even bother doing this anymore? So it was unlike a lot of hallmark movies that like nobody you know almost nobody was experiencing this like ridiculous level of personal success without you know without having like really seem to have burned it or like the movie not even acknowledging that like they're actually like really successful
2: Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good point. Um, of course, I think we forgot to mention this. Megan is off the professor job, but she turns it down because she just loves the museum so much. So she's the only one who's like exceptionally professionally successful in that way. And everybody else is kind of, um, and even that, not at the beginning, so. Right. So we actually all agreed that this was a far better than average Hallmark movie. And so I hate to say that we would tinker with it extremely Um, and i don't think we would but one thing that matt had mentioned as being kind of a weak point is the actual time travel mechanism itself the clock so matt do you want to say more about that
1: right so they they set up in the trailer that like this guy you know time travels with a you know it's a mechanical artifice right It, it it's obviously you know from the trailer that it's the clock that does it And he's set up as this inventor and tinkerer and, you know, they reference H.G. Wells. And it all sets you up to believe that he invented the time machine. And then it just turns out it's a magic clock that he bought from an auction. And that was, that was kind of, uh, in a movie that didn't have, like, a lot of, like, really, like, real weaknesses, that seemed a little, a little weak. (laughs) So I think I would have him be the person who invented the time clock. And then, you know, his problem when he gets to the future is that like, he doesn't know where it is. Like it didn't travel with him and like, nobody knows where it is. And so I don't think it changes the story that much. He did spend in the, in the actual movie, he spent a lot of the middle act, not realizing it was the clock that, that did it. But I I thought that was kind of a weak part of the movie, too, because he's, you know, he's a pretty smart guy most of the time. And it's just it's out of character that he just spends like probably like a full hour of the movie's runtime scratching his head. Like, why? You know, how did you know, how did I get here when like messing with the clock is like the only thing that he did differently that night? So you just make the you just make the obsession about finding the clock earlier instead of like, how did I get? You know how did I time travel?
0: Yes, they transported him a bit into. I mean, we would we would rewrite him a bit more Doc Brown esque that he was on a mission to figure out how to do this potentially, and uh, and he knew very well when he was messing with that clock that. Now, I would probably remove the moon thing altogether because not only do we know it's not scientifically possible, it was just dumb. So if we get it so that he is actually taking this clock, potentially that he got from an auction, to make it a special Christmas time travel piece with all of his knowledge, that's definitely a better storyline, in my opinion.
1: And you can still have him, like, surprised he wound up in the in the 21st century, like, it, if he didn't expect it to work or he didn't expect it to work as... As well as it did. I think you can, you know, like, like Marty McFly knew that he was driving a time machine, but he was still, like, you know, flabbergasted and, like, couldn't get his bearings for a while when, when he time-traveled with it.
0: Right, right. And make, makes the guy feel like he has a little bit more cred, to you know, that he was such a tinkerer and he succeeded in tinkering with something so incredible. And, but then the, the question would be then, so he's made this time machine clock. What are we gonna do with it besides I think, Megan?
2: I think that we're going to set up for a really awesome sequel is what we're gonna do, where they go on adventures yes. together. Maybe this even a spin-off be, series. A series. Yeah. Exactly.
0: This could be the series. Do you think they always travel on Christmas, or is it like whenever they want or any holiday? Or like what's the premise for the time travel?
2: Well, I mean, since this is Hallmark it only works on Christmas.
0: So each year they plan a big trip back in time or forward in time, I suppose.
2: Or forward in time to see Christmas in another time. And then that will also add the tension of, since it only works on Christmas, they only have, you know, like 24 hours or whatever.
0: Well, and it brings a little bit of like Dickens to it. So they have a bit of Christmas past, Christmas presents and Christmas futures in their lives, maybe. That could be. So they go back in time. what what are they gonna do in the in the Christmas past? what will they have will they see her when she's younger? Will they see him? I mean, obviously they're now about the same age we're supposed to assume, but in reality, they're nowhere near the same age.
2: I actually think that they're gonna avoid seeing like themselves in the past or future for like butterfly effect reasons, and we will say that they just like, I don't know believe that's too much messing or something like that but it, it could also just be that like that introduces too many questions that we don't want to deal with and just have them go and like experiment with like different historical eras like oh well what was christmas like and with you know, the
0: right brothers
2: <laughs> yeah let's, it's christmas with the right brothers. obviously they have to be able to travel across space as well as time they can't always be in this one little town wherever they were sure like Christmas with the Wright brothers why not or like a Dickensian Christmas I think one Christmas they should definitely actually meet Dickens and hang out um that would be
1: amazing
0: that would be great for sure
2: or then they could go into the future and I think they should meet H.G. Wells and be like hey because H.G. Wells comes up more than once in this movie by the way which is kind of interesting that this real like sciencey guy is looking for the answer to time travel in H.G. Wells but whatever they could actually go and meet H G Wells and like tell him what they did and be like, Wanna come next year? And like you know, and try and take him to see what the future looks like or something. You know, like they could do all kinds of fun yeah. stuff with like
1: this. I mean if you if you wanted to get cute, you could like they meet H. G. Wells, like a young H. G. Wells, and tell him the story about how he tinkered his way to inventing a time machine and then H G. Wells gets an idea to write a story about it.
2: Oh yeah. There we go. We could get really cute with that. And maybe they just, like, they completely make up that story that's actually in the time machine about, like, the underground people whose name I'm forgetting. Morlocks. The Morlocks, yes. About, like, the Morlocks. And they, like, make that up. And Morlock happens to be, like, the name of her, like, cousin's best friend's uncle who they just ran into or something like that. And he's like, wait, so these creatures in the future, what are they called? And she'd be like, Morlock. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) That's
0: right. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of things like that we could do where they sort of go back and, you know, they they make up lots of stories. So maybe their whole adventures is how they give these writers their storyline. That's what the whole series is about.
2: I think they'd never like, go anyplace like dangerous because a they're not idiots and b like that makes for like a very non-hallmarky movie. We're not gonna do like Christmas and like a world war or something like that. Yeah,
1: we're not gonna we're we're not no. gonna visit the Christmas truce and right like, it... <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs>
0: right. Well, we could do like a Little Women thing that takes place around Christmas. Some of that book does.
2: Yeah, it's also autobiographical, so I mean, they could actually meet the Alcotts, but.
0: Well, I do. I do think it has some potential. Future Christmases could be cool too, but I don't know if that would stick with our book theme or not. But maybe creating new stories for the future.
1: Yeah, I, the the that
0: could I, be I, that could be delivered by Hallmark Publishing.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> not a bad idea. the The budget for like going to the future starts getting getting out of hand. History stopped in twenty nineteen.
2: Which this movie basically does, like this movie, yeah, dances around saying what year it actually is, yeah. I um, yeah.
1: I bet they would have done that anyway because they don't want to date the movie for when they rerun it in future years. No, that's true. But it was especially like they really, really sidestepped it, and I think Mm -hmm. we were all kind of tuned in, like wanting to see it before. Before we wrap up on this, I I did wanted to, I did just want to ask, like. I think it's kind of interesting that like we all seem to like this, and like what what makes this a good movie? Like what makes this different from all of the all of the other? I guess most of the other Hallmark movies that you end up like sort of enduring rather than rather than watching.
0: I personally think, and you know, Mary will know I'm a fan of any kind of time where they get a chance to see their light life in a different way or I like the ones that are totally not I can't say Hallmark makes realistic movies because that's just not right they don't most of their movies are not realistic but I like the ones that are so implausible like girl flies to Alaska to get flowers for a wedding blah 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 like that person can do that but a guy appears from 1903 in 2020 like that is not plausible, and that's why I think it's more fun than the rest. What do you think, Mary?:
2: I think it basically comes down to its, uh, to originality. Like I don't know that this is the most original movie ever ever made, but for a Hallmark movie, it's extremely original. Usually, I get deeply, deeply bored with these movies because you could predict every scene, and they're not even done particularly convincingly. Like usually, um, it's a combination of the writing sucks" and the actors suck. Nobody acts like they're in love with each other. We're going through emotions where if you decorate cookies, watch a tree lighting, and like stand under mistletoe together, like you will fall in love and we're supposed to feel warm and fuzzy about it.
0: And get married at the end or get, you know, like very rushed.
2: They've mostly stopped doing that. um but so I mean in this one wasn't as predictable like we joked about the fact that 48 minutes into the movie we didn't I mean we knew that they were going to end up together but we didn't know if that would be in the past or the future and so there was some extent to which this movie kept us guessing a little bit like it's certainly not suspenseful or anything but it's enough that like if you had walked out to like I don't know. Walk the dog halfway through this movie and come back 25 minutes later. Like you might have been lost. Any other Hallmark movie? That's not true. Right.
0: What do you, What do you think set it apart, Matt? Not that you have seen a whole bunch, I would guess, but.
1: Well, yeah, I think I I, I saw I, I've seen Picture Perfect Christmas, which was uh, dreadful, and I I watched that one that you know Michelle was on the show for with. Um, uh, the classical music one. I forget the title of that one. And, uh, Chateau, Chateau, Christmas. Chateau Christmas.
2: And we did not thoroughly introduce our guest, but we, sh- we should have introduced I him know. as... I just
0: thought of that as well.
2: We should have introduced him as funny and clever person and husband of previous funny and clever person who is a guest on our show, Michelle. That's right. Yeah, the,
1: yeah. Matt. Yeah so yeah so I, I was there when Michelle was like doing the research for Chateau Christmas which you know obviously that was the best episode of the podcast this year and will remain so even after you release this one I mean as far as the as far as the movie like so these movies like Hallmark movies are like not for me like irony poison like 39 year old guy right but uh, they kind of all I really ask out of it is to have sort of believable and sympathetic and consistently characterized characters, you know, with, you know, believable motivations encounter an obstacle that doesn't just like painlessly and effortlessly fall away for them. Like they actually have to like do something to overcome overcome an obstacle and kind of do it in a satisfying way and without telegraphing the ending like 35 minutes ahead of time and and they did this like i thought charles was like a very kind of believable and and sympathetic character i thought the i thought the same of megan and the you know the conflict the central conflict in the movie is that he has an entire life left that that he's left behind and you know, a life that he worked like very hard to put together. and he's and he has but you know at the same time, like there's clearly, you know he is something between him and Megan. I, I don't know what point he realizes he's in love with her, but he does fall in love with her. and you can't make this work by just saying we'll make it work somehow. And like this is not the kind of thing where you just painlessly, break up with this, you know, with their fiance or boyfriend, like 25 minutes into the movie and nobody seems upset about it. Like he really has to come to grips with the fact that, you know, when he left, like things were okay for everyone left behind. Like his, and he has to come to grips with like his rival, like, you know, married his fiance and like, basically like, you know, took over what was left of his business. And, kind of has to be okay with all of this and realize that, that like Megan is more important to him than getting all this back. And they even like the fake out at the end, like you're still, even though you know that this is a Hallmark movie, right? You can kind of suspend your disbelief and like the, the fake out at the end where it looks like he's actually left. Like you can still kind of believe that, that he's done that until he emerges from the shadows and so that's just to me like they actually constructed like a movie like it wasn't just a hat rack for a bunch of christmas tropes and so that that's that's why i enjoyed this and like i know like you got to bang out 40 movies a year like they can't all be good but it would be nice if like more of them were like this
2: And, you know, I think you bring up a really good point about him having to come to terms with his life after he left it, not having gone how he wanted. And so if we're generous with this movie, it's more than a love story. It's also about sort of coming to terms with one's own like legacy position in history. What do we want to call this? Which is something that like people have been writing about for centuries. The idea of like, well, what happens after I die? And does the world forget about me and do things go on like in this way or in that way? And there's a sense in which, like, this character is granted this rare opportunity to confront this and come to terms with it.
1: Yeah, and the, to come to terms with, like, well, you you basically died and, like, everybody was fine. Yep.
2: Right. right. Like,
1: that, that'd be rough. Like, like, what if, like, like, if I, like, went to bed tonight and, like, woke up 100 years in the future and found out, like, like no, like everyone was basically okay, and like I'm like a minor Wikipedia entry on like list of people who mysteriously disappeared article. That would take some. That would take some grappling with.
2: It's funny though, and we haven't mentioned this, but something that both Matt and I commented on when watching this is that him coming to terms with that comes through the most annoying like capitalist apologia scene, <laughs> oh. where he's talking to like the guy who's like working on the Christmas tree lights or something like that. And he's like, oh, how long have you been doing this? And he's like, oh, just since I retired, I worked for Moran Steel. And he's like, oh, you have my sympathies. And he's like, why? And he's like, well, because Gerald Moran was a cad. And he's like, first of all, did you just actually say cad? And, <laughs> and secondly, no, he wasn't. He was a great man. And then he lists the reasons why he was a great man. It's because, like, he was this philanthropist, right? He did all this stuff with his money. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, thank God for the capitalists, like, saving us all from ourselves. So maybe in one of our future episodes, they can like go back and like unionize Moran Steele or something. I don't know.
0: Well, now we usually like to take a look at what's happening the following week and maybe guess about what some of the movies are about. Now, Mary, I have to admit, we haven't done a single movie on the other network on the Miracles of Christmas, but this week appears to be not a good choice either. But the four movies we have coming up next weekend are... A Nashville Christmas Carol, the Christmas House, the Angel Tree, and a Godwin Christmas, which is a series, and this one is called a Godwin Christmas, colon, Second Chance, First Love. So that's what we have. But again, any any takers on what one of those
2: might be might be like? Could you repeat the third one again? The Angel Tree. Okay, uh, so. Here's the thing. I actually know what a Christmas the Christmas house is about, and that's because we saw the preview night. But I would really like it not to be about that, and instead to be about a gingerbread house that oh, yeah. someone shrinks and is suddenly living in, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids style.
0: That's awesome. I like that. There once was one, this wasn't on Hallmark, but one of my favorite ones that was really, actually favorite because it was so terrible, was about a woman who got sucked inside a snow globe.
2: Oh. <laughs> that's so actually I would awful, totally,
0: It was really, really bad, and everyone in the snow globe wore mittens and they ice skated, and that's all they did all day. But she ended up falling in love with life in the snow globe better than her own life. I'm not really sure why. But she did. But hopefully the inside the Christmas house gingerbread house movie, it would be much better premise.
2: Oh, yeah. It would have to be stronger. Like, there would have to be something that they can, like, learn or here by being, like, small and, like, you know, inconspicuous. And they have to obviously find a way to, like, unshrink themselves at the end. But, you know, like a Christmas clock or some shit, like you do. <laughs>
0: That's right something something to get them back to the normal life
2: I like the that. other option for a christmas house and again i happen to know what it's about and i happen to know that it's not this and i know we've already gone the ghost route once this year but like the house could be haunted i'm just saying like ghosts and christmas used to be a thing let's let's you know make christmas haunted again
0: we definitely want to
1: do that so that's a
0: that's a good idea matt do you have any predictions for next week
1: I mean, my, my prediction is I think I'd rather just watch, like, Carson Wentz, like, throw passes at receivers' feet all day than... than... <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm still, like, boiling mad about yesterday's Eagles game. I'm, I'm, I'm unbelievably upset that I shouldn't be because this team is, is, is garbage and this division's garbage and football is bad, and that said, God, I don't have any idea. Like the uh, I, I mean a Christmas uh, the angel tree, is that what it is?
0: Yes, like, the angel tree.
1: That one sounds like it might be the worst. Uh, I don't know. All of these sound like really dreadful.
0: They do. I agree. This does not I mean, but then we start off to be fair that not long after that this is when we get into a massive run because there's one on monday the 23rd there's one on tuesday like then we get into you know all oh and mary i was listening to another podcast who i may reach out to them about teaming up with us their one is called hall snark i think and they like make fun of them and it was actually quite good they were saying on their podcast that the movie that was The Christmas Tree Grows in Colorado was actually originally called A Christmas Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and they changed it why? for some reason. I don't know. And they said they, change, they even had it on the app at one point as The Christmas Tree Grows in Brooklyn, but then they well, changed it. Like, that actually
2: it. would have been a good title.
1: Yeah. Like, too many. So I, too don't,
0: many. I don't know why they did that, but um, at any rate.
1: Well, like too uh, many Jews in Brooklyn. Title.
0: So, essentially, I think we have a new one every night, starting on Saturday, up until Friday, I'm just looking, Saturday the 28th, up until the Sunday the 29th. There's one every night next week, and on the Hallmark uh, Movies and Mysteries, there's only next weekend and the weekend after Thanksgiving, but next week, we could watch, starting on Saturday... A Nashville Christmas, The Christmas House, Heart of the Holidays, A Christmas Tree Grows in Colorado, Good Morning Christmas, Christmas by Starlight, Five Star Christmas, Christmas Waltz, and If I Only Had Christmas. So, I don't know, Mary, we're going to have to but make we playing We're not, not going to watch all of them, for sure. But
1: I'm going to assume that Good Morning Christmas is like a Good Morning Vietnam sequel.
2: Um, it actually, they, they're they kind of, that was definitely the idea, like, from the preview. It's morning show hosts that are, like, rivals who fall in love.
0: And I learned that that rune was also originally called Mary and Bright, but then they obviously didn't do that because they called one last year Mary and Bright. Ah, I gotcha. I mean, there are so many choices. I feel like we're gonna have to try and watch the CCB one. There's also the Christmas Waltz with Lacey Chabert. Oh, yeah which would be good. And then the others none I mean I kind of think we should watch a Christmas tree glows in Colorado just because of the tree in Brooklyn. But um, I don't know. We, there's a few choices.
2: We do have plans to watch a Nashville Christmas Carol and we have a guest lined up for that one. So
0: we do. We do, we do need to watch that
2: one. So yeah, we and that, um Saturday that- night. Yeah, so for that one, we have a special guest who is both a filmmaker and can critique the filmic point of view, and a native Tennessean and can critique the the, the country point of view.
0: And this, this one appears to have a bit of, like, Christmas Carol-esque. Yeah. But regardless of what movie we watch, there's definitely one thing we know.
2: And that is that they will
0: fall in love so tune in next week and hopefully we can drop a few of these next week on Hallmarked Up for whatever we decide to review over the Thanksgiving week happy Thanksgiving everyone and stay
2: home happy Thanksgiving
1: happy Thanksgiving everyone
0: thank you for listening to Hallmarked Up find us online at hallmarkedup.com on Instagram at HallmarkDuff, and on Facebook at HallmarkDuff with Mary and Sarah. Remember to follow, listen, and review wherever you get your podcast.